Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Aim. Well, I have an exciting surprise for you this week. I can't wait. What is it? So I decided I don't want to be the expert. So I brought in an expert to be the an expert. official expert. An official and actual expert. So what are we going to learn about? So we are going to learn about the harvest season in the Mediterranean. How did you come up with that? So I would like to introduce Claudia, and I will let her explain it. Yay, welcome, Claudia. Hi, guys. How are you all? I am so excited. Yes, my name is Claudia Hanna. I am the host of a podcast that just got started with American Public Television, APT, called If This Food Could Talk. It is a food I history show. I jealous. teach Mediterranean <laughs> cooking classes at two universities in Virginia, a University of Virginia and James Madison University. And then I lead culinary tours overseas to Cyprus, Greece, and Turkey are usually my areas of specialty because those are the languages I speak. Uh, but my husband is from Cyprus. So we spent a decade living on the island of Aphrodite in Cyprus, as one does that sounds so snotty when I say it out loud, but it's just, it's total just normal living, I promise. And so what I do is I try to bring people with me so that I get to keep going back. It's kind of my like secret. I love it. I want to do it. It's my secret power, I guess. Like I'm like, hey, I figured out how to keep going back to the med and leaving my children at home by taking other people who want to go with me. You are my goal like all of this is my goal to be an expert on food to get to go to any place with amazing food and great views and warm weather i mean i'm a hundred percent in it's pretty nice i have to say it really is very nice i lucked out i kind of carved myself a really cool little career and it's fun so i i've been teaching cooking classes mediterranean like authentic mediterranean how we eat in the med i've been teaching it for over a decade here in the States, um, in Virginia, as I said. And yeah, it's really, I'm really passionate about it. I don't know how to say it. I joke and I'm like, let's make vegetables great again. But it's a terrible tagline. So I got to come up with something else. I love it though. I love it. I I would love to take something like that because I really enjoy cooking. But sometimes it's just like, where do you start? What do you do? And I would love to just kind of build a foundation that you can kind of build off and go different ways with. Because I feel like, you know, a lot of the stuff you see on like social media or whatever, like it just seems so basic, but how do the people know to put that together? I agree. Is it hard? I don't know. I think you guys, I think it's just like everything, trial and figure out the flavors you like to go together. Like if you like soy, then you might add a little bit of sweetness. And, you know, if you like olive oil, then you add a little like garlic and onions. It's just kind of like the flavor palettes that you'd gravitate to and kind of build off of that, I think. Yeah. Well, I would say all garlic. Or if you like it all, like I do. (laughs) Yeah. Give me all the garlic. (laughs) I'm a big fan. So I'm not going to do this because it's not about the harvest season. But if you want all the antioxidant powers that garlic gives you and it's good for your heart and you read about all these things, it's actually when you get it raw, which sounds really gross. But you got to think about how to add garlic to foods like over top. So when I make a tzatziki, you're adding crushed garlic. When you're doing uh, any kind of like salad dressings from scratch, you could add some fresh garlic to it. And it sounds a lot, but that's the best way to get it into your body. 
beetroot salad, add a little bit of crushed garlic. It's just little ways to get the fresh stuff that in you. That is such a good idea. I mean, I like it roasted too. But yeah, I would it's just kind of getting used to it. eat the whole menu of things you just said. I know. I'm very oh, much been on a tzatziki kick right now, so I'm so glad you said that because I would not have naturally thought to do that. But I've been making like grain bowls for my lunches, and tzatziki is just such a good ingredient to throw into that. But I would have never thought to go with raw garlic would not have dawned on me. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you're you're not chomping on it, right? They're finely grated or they're finely like chopped in there. Same with hummus and baba noosh and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, we're probably getting off topic and I'm so sorry about that. But since you said garlic, I love my roasted garlic too. And I love my sauteed garlic. But the good stuff when it's good, the, once it hits the, the frying pan, the enzymes start breaking down. So my little tip to everybody is try to get it as fresh as you can when you can. That's a great tip. I love it. And I'm going to try and do that because I do enjoy garlic in any form. My husband doesn't enjoy that I enjoy it so much, but that's his problem and not mine. (laughs) Gum. Gum, baby girl. Gum. Exactly. I know. Or I actually read recently that eating some lettuce can help counteract. Oh. So, So the other night, actually, it was probably a week ago, I'm like, just before bed, eating some raw lettuce before I go brush my teeth. And I'm like, let's see if it works. Did it work? And he said it wasn't too bad. Well, so maybe. I just said salad dressing because I do make a salad dressing. I crush some garlic, olive oil, lemon juice, salt, and like it goes over lettuce, right? It goes over a salad. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So that, that should be a perfect combo. Maybe. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's start getting into it. So we're going to walk through a couple different foods so that Claudia can tell us just all the great things about them. I'm so excited. I can't wait, spoiler, to get to olives. But I know we have a few foods we want to talk about before we get there. Well, harvest season is upon us. It's not only here in the States, it's anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. And in the Mediterranean, the fall is my favorite time of year, honestly. It's the scorching summer is slowly coming to an end. And I say slowly because it does take a little bit longer out there. Um, But it is long. The days are hot. The evenings are cool. You need a little jacket. You need a little shawl in the evenings. The water has been warm all year long or all summer long from the sun. So you can still swim and the water temperatures are fantastic. And then on top of it all, it's harvest season. So we've got our grapes, And then we move into pomegranates, and we end it all with olives before we move into our winter fruits. So yeah, it's my favorite, and I love going picking all of those with people and kind of sharing how to cook and prepare all of them. You make it sound super magical. Like, I loved the painting of the picture first, but now I'm very into all of all of the things that you just said about <laughs> grapes and pomegranates and olives. I know. Yes. I'm like, okay, I think we need to do <laughs> come this. Come over. I'll take we it. need to do this. We need to do a live episode. Totally. From the Mediterranean. <laughs> I have been saying that for a long time. It's so nice. But yeah, it is. It is. It's very, um, you know, it's idyllic, but it is real work. And it is not... It's not as like romantic and sexy as it sounds like. And we'll, once we get into olives, I'll tell you all about it. But grapes are not as bad. So where where do you want to start, guys? Like where what can I what would you like to talk about? Yeah, let's start with the grapes. Yeah. So typically this is the time of year then 
that we're going to start with grapes? Yeah. Yeah. This is the time of year that we're starting with grapes. And it's just because uh, the skin of the grapes are soft and they cook really rapidly. So they get scorched very easily in the sun. So we're picking grapes for obviously table, but we're also picking for wines. We're making wines and then uh, distilled past that we make vinegars and we also make uh, zivanias and grappas and things like that. So it's kind of like the liquors that go with our grapes. Have you all been to a grape harvest before? I have been. We have some um, wine, although probably not the same types of grapes, in the upper northern part of Michigan, which is where Allie and I grew up. But also I have some friends who own a, a winery in Oregon. So I've never been to that one yet. But I've been learning more and more about the grapes that make wine. So it's interesting to hear you say all of the uses for grapes and also, I guess the seasonality, I, I haven't spent a lot of time with like, when are they exactly ready and ripe and, and good for all of these things? So it's very interesting to hear how that all comes about. I'm sure your friends in Oregon will have, just because the climate is so much cooler, they're probably harvesting their grapes later in the fall season. I'm just talking mostly about the Southern Mediterranean where you know, more of my specialty is. But yeah, they're they're harvesting. In fact, we do um, a wine. It's pretty fun. It's a wine festival in the count in the town that I live in in Cyprus, and it la- it's just all of the local vineyards kind of to give back to the community because they know it gets really busy and they know that uh, they they come and they share their wines. It, one thing that I really love about the life in the Mediterranean is this kind of concept of give and take. So you produce, you know, everyone has some grapes, everyone has orchards of some sort, olives and groves, I should say, and or tangerines or whatever, lemons. And the bounty is usually a little bit more than you can handle just for one family, just because, I don't know, older trees, great sun, great climate. But then you're always giving back. And so that that concept of giving and sharing exists not only between neighbors and friends, but it also exists commercially. So once a year, they do this wine harvest when the vineyards are actually sharing their bounty with everybody in the community to come for like a weekend. Just it's, it doesn't, there's no charge. And it's like, come try our harvests for the year because they know that they're going to be selling at the restaurants and then you're going to be buying from them and whatnot. Right. So it's, it's of course, but it's a, it's a great time of year, but picking our, like harvesting grapes it is very romantic when you start snipping and you're putting in a basket and then the baskets put onto a bushel and like you carry them up to a truck and you start early and you have to be worried about like the snakes that are in there. So like there's, there's real, oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like you ha- imagine in your head all this like beautiful Tuscan uh, countrysides, but there's, there's real work and, and we take breaks and our breaks we usually have some dried figs and some cheese and some bread and before we take the grapes into to be pressed now the pressing with the feet is really cute but that's not really how anything is being pressed anymore right they've got the big mills and and um yeah so it's it's it but it takes it takes about a month for those grapes to be turned into the wines that we, the table wines that we drink. And 
and I'm sure you guys know how the whole process works, whether you want to keep it on for the tannins, like if it stays in a, what kind of barrels we're going to be keeping in, whether it's an oak barrel or a, a tin barrel or, you know, so, and, and for the flavors, but those, it's, it's, the process is very similar to what we have here in the United States when it comes up to the wineries. And I feel like a lot of people have access to that. So when people come to visit us and when I take people on tours to the Mediterranean, we really enjoy the vineyards, but it's not, it, it's not, I think like you just said, Michigan's got some wines, Oregon's got wines, Virginia's got wines. The, the process is very similar and it has gotten very industrial over the time. So it's not, um, you know, it's it's beautiful because the countryside is gorgeous, but it's probably not as magical or as different as perhaps the pomegranates or the olives, which we're not as familiar with. Yeah, that makes total sense. So can I ask, how do they know... So you had mentioned a couple different things that the grapes are used for at when we started chatting. How do they earmark, sure. you know, the harvest and say, okay, you're going to be table grapes, you're going to be wine, you're going to be, is there a method to that? Or is it kind of just as the season progresses that dictates what they're used for? Well, typically certain varieties of grapes are better for a table grape or, you know, to be consumed fresh sure. versus to be turned into wines. The, some of the cavern. Exactly. So that's, that's what they're focused on. Um, one of the other really cool uses of the grapes that I forgot to mention, it's like a byproduct. After they've pressed the wine, the skins are not thrown away. So one thing about the Mediterranean, I have to say, is they're really good about using all parts of the fruit and all parts of the tree. Nothing's really is thrown away. They make a, oh, how do I describe this? Paludia. Um, it's like a pudding almost. It's such a random thing. But they they take almonds, which are also harvesting right about this time of year as well. And they get the great the almonds off of the tree and they lay them out to dry over top of like a roof or just on spread out. And you've cracked them and they're kind of like dried almonds. You take a needle and a long thread and you're threading almonds to until they make a very long train of olives or a train of almonds, excuse me. Meanwhile, you've got these grape skins that have been pressed and they put them in a large pot to cook until it becomes a a thickened pudding. Oh, okay. okay. They add a bit of sugar to it. They do add some sugar to it. And so it's just been, it's a reduction. It's been reduced and reduced and reduced until it becomes kind of like this thickness and you t thick, goopy, really, it's like a vegan pudding. And then you take your almonds, your string of almonds, and you dip it in this hot grape pudding. And then you let it dry for I, I'm I'm using my hands to try to explain <laughs> it, but you you hang it and you dip it once and then you let it dry just honestly 20, 30 minutes. And then you dip it again and until you got multiple casings and layers. And then you let it dry in the sun. And so what you have at the end are these long, beautiful casings of naturally sweet almonds with grape juice around it. And then you use it all year long. So when you have guests come over, I'm like, Amy, welcome to my house. You'll cut off pieces of it and you'll serve it with a little bit of tea or a Turkish coffee, like a Greek coffee or something like that. And so these little pieces of almond, grape, pudding, 
things are there. And you got to be got to be careful because you're going to be eating some strings. So you got to try to eat it delicately so that the string's not like coming out of your mouth. But yeah, it's that's another little kind of random use, but I've always loved. And I now make it. I make it every time I go back. Um, that sounds and that's just kind of like a fun so use. good. I would love to try that. That sounds so good. Yeah. It's, it's just a it's like a it's a vegan dessert, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it does. It sounds like a little treat. It is. It is. It's fun. That is so cool. I would have never thought to do some of that stuff. So I think it's really cool how innovative that is, but also how handy, right? Like to be able to use every part of the grape makes so much more sense. So you d- you just don't throw things away. You d- no, well, and like who came up with the string of the almonds and that did, but like, that's so smart. You you have all of these different use cases that you just wouldn't think of. So, although in fairness, I know very little about pomegranates, so I don't think I'll have as great of questions. But I can't wait to hear <laughs> from you about pomegranates. Yeah, no, pomegranates are fun. So pomegranates are easy. Like I love them. They grow off the tree. They're bright red. Birds get to them first. You got to like shoo off the birds, I guess, or pick them a little bit early. So here's a good thing. Pomegranates pomegranates are a sign of good luck and fertility. And in the Greek culture, at the new year, you take a pomegranate, once upon a time, please don't go do this to your Greek neighbors. (laughs) Um, You take the pomegranate and smash it up against their door. And if it opens up and there's lots of seeds and kernels that fall out, that means you're going to have a prosperous year, a a fertile year, Um, not just in terms of babies, but just fertile in life year. yes um in life <laughs> yeah. exactly so it was it's definitely considered a a fruit of good luck and harvest but yeah there's a lot of different ways so one of the main things so mostly pomegranates are eaten just with a spoon or just get your hands all dirty and got to open them all up we juice them of course and those are fun to just juice go little street vendors but one of my favorite things to do with pomegranates is we cook them down as well. And you make a pomegranate reduction. Think of a balsamic reduction. But this is just straight with pomegranates. There's no other uh, sugars or starches or anything whatsoever in it. And it's cooked and cooked and cooked in large vats. And then they're bottled. And it's got a tangy taste to it, a sweet tangy taste. And we add that I add that and I can still buy them at the, if you go to a specialty store in the States. So I'm going to suggest looking for it. It's just called bitter pomegranate syrup. It's just a pomegranate syrup. I add them to salads, like a tomato salad with like a caprese with tomato mozzarella. I always add a bit of pomegranate syrup. Or if I'm marinating some meat, some red meat, it adds a bit of tang to my marinades as well. So Look it up, find a pomegranate syrup near you. And I'm saying, honestly, try to get com- like playful with it. I add it always to my meats and always to my salads. It's a, it's a little fun, sweet, tangy. Where did that pop? Where did that come from? I but love that's that. That's how you kind of cook like a local. I love that. I feel like I'm going to have to find some because I love a sweet, savory combo. Exactly. Of anything. Yeah. Totally. Totally. That's exactly what this is. I also think it's just something you don't see all the time, which I think makes that even more special. Like, it makes it feel elevated when it's not just something you're getting everywhere, but it's a little bit something different. 
I think that's really like pomegranate isn't something I feel like I see regularly or if I do it's like a very sure. processed version right like when they pull all the seeds out or something like that I know So to hear different uses for it it makes it so much more accessible but also I just feel it kind of elevates what you can do with it exactly it's it is harder because like you do need a lot of pomegranates for it and when you when we're in the states like a pomegranate it's like two dollars each right so you're not going to be just like let me burn this down and make a reduction out of it. Like you're just not. It's only when you have plenty of them that you're able to do it. So that's why I'm suggesting go find like a pomegranate syrup at the store and and do that. Otherwise, eat your fresh pomegranates. Those seeds are so good for you. (laughs) They really are. They're delicious too. Unless the seedy parts bother you guys. I don't know. Some some people get bothered by them. I don't. I don't think I've had a fresh pomegranate in so long. I used to buy like the little palm juice things mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and i know just because our mom was buying them for our dad was getting the little like you know the the seeds are already out little cups you buy from like mm-hmm. costco but now i'm oh, gonna yeah. have to go get a pomegranate because i'm like when was the last time i, I even it. had one look for them probably by the time they get here i bet an early part of winter is gonna be when they'll they'll get They'll make it to a door near you. That's what I'm thinking. This may be a very elementary question, but how long does a pomegranate stay good for? Because now I'm trying to think like, you know, you get an avocado and it's like "Mm, next day could be missed that window. What is the pomegranate's shelf life for lack of a better term? You can, yeah, no, it's not. It's a good question. Um, You can kind of tell. So they because it's got a thicker skin literally it's got it's going to be protected it will last a solid couple of weeks if you want to l- make it last that long in your fridge um if you're leaving it outside it will dry out of course so i leave it in my fridge until i'm ready to eat it i'll probably try to get it room temp by bringing it out like say i want to eat it for dessert after dinner i'll pull it out right before dinner and then you know by the time i get there but yeah it'll last a couple of weeks in your fridge absolutely oh that's good do you have any tips for picking out a good one? Like when you're standing in uh, front of like the whole crate of them, how do I know which one? <laughs> so you gotta, you have to carry them. Like it's, it's definitely a voluminous, like a water volume heavy fruit. So you want to pick one up and it's got to be heavy in your hand. And when you press on it, it, it's firm. It presses right back. You don't want ones that kind of have like a an aged leathery look on the outside because it's been sitting out for a while, like I just said. Um, and you don't want ones with a lot of air in them because also the kernels on the inside, I just said it's water voluminous. It's already kind of like shrunk on the inside. So that there's space between the skin and the kernel it presses. That means it's kind of gotten old. And so when you eat it, it's going to be very seedy, those seeds on the inside instead of like juicy and seedy because you want the juice. Yeah. Juice is good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. Because I okay. recently <laughs> was reading a thing about how to pick out watermelons because our family loves watermelons, yeah. but I always pick the worst one. So I did better this summer, <laughs> finally. But good. But now I'm going to go in armed for pomegranates, and I'm going to get a good one on the first try. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Let me know how it does. Like, tell me, like, Claudia, you're wrong. <laughs> the leathery ones were better. <laughs> I don't think. Well, I mean, unless it's actually like leather goods, I would never say leathery is better ever. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm. I'm kidding. They really are not. So don't do it. <laughs> awesome. So what other uses? could we use pomegranates for? I don't have anything else. You eat it, you drink it, 
you cook it down and add it to your salad dressings and you smash it against it. your yeah. neighbor's door. We learned smash that. it against the neighbor. <laughs> I loved that was maybe my favorite part. I will not do it. I promise. Oh, I, I was just gonna yeah. say, Amy, next time I'm at your house, when you hear a big thud, I'm like, I Amy, it's for like, prosperity. Well, you were talking happy about New Year. How it's all community based, and I loved that. But then it also kind of makes me happy when you think like all right, we're all in this together and we're in our community, but also I want you to be prosperous. So I'm going to smash a pomegranate against your door. Like, I just think that's so wholesome. I can't remember if you do it to someone else's door or you're supposed to do it to your own door. I have to say, even we don't do that anymore because we're like, dude, that's just a bunch of red yeah. stuff. I got to go clean up all over my house after that's that. So fair. we don't, but it is a form of good luck. Yes. I thought that counts. But I can't wait. But we will add it. We add them to salads at New Year's. So you know how like in America we eat, what is it, black-eyed peas? Yeah. Or at least we do in the South. Black-eyed peas. We eat pomegranates in the New Year's in the Mediterranean. How about that? In Greece. It is a sign of good luck. That's very cool. So can't hurt. Can't hurt. Get your pomegranate. A little black-eyed peas, a little pomegranate, make a salad. I mean, happy new year. That'd be a fun thing to look into because we just did, um, was it Old Wives Tales was a recent episode, but it'd be cool to look at like what are cultural signs of good luck or food signs of good luck. Those Totally. Yeah. Because clearly I talk all about food all the time. You love Even when I'm not intending to. But I am a huge fan of olives, so I've been waiting very patiently to get to the olive portion. Yes. And I have a good question. For olives that just came up Bring tonight it. at dinner, but I'll we'll get into some of this and then I'll ask my question when we, we get into olives a bit. So excited! Okay, right, I'm excited to get into olives too, Amy. Let's talk about harvesting olives. It's a pain in the butt, dirty <laughs> job. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. It is thorn. Olives are. Olive trees are very thorny and the underbrush is dry. And so you got to wear boots and long pants and long sleeves. And it's not that trees get real, it's a family affair. You got to do it for a weekend. Everyone's got trees and like you just decked out doing it. And it's in, as I said, October timeframe. Typically, uh, depends on where, where you live in the, you know, how much sun you get, whether it's early September. October, November even. And then Southern Hemisphere, like Chile, Argentina, they they are obviously harvesting in their spring, in our spring, like March, April, May kind of time frame. Anyway, hard business. You're raking the olive trees and they're coming, hitting down on the floor and you have a, like a, a tarp underneath you. And then you grab the tarp and you throw the tarp onto a bushel, like a big box, kind of the same one you probably used for the grapes now that I think about it. <laughs> um, and then you, within 24 hours, you've got to take it to the press. Oh, and that's the main okay. thing to remember because olives are a fruit, just like those pomegranates, just like those grapes. It is a fruit it, with a seed and everything. And it's got to be taken to the press within 24 hours or they start shriveling up. So there's a lot of like misconceptions out there about olives and olive oil. And this is what I love teaching and sharing about because what people are curious about. So green olives and black olives, there's no such thing. Green olives are unripened black olives. Black olives are ripe green olives, period. I feel like Like, I've been duped. I know. I know. Now, there are a lot of varieties. There are a lot of varieties of different olives. There's the Calamatas, the Gamliks, the... uh, 
oh my gosh, whatever, manzanillas, all those, you know, whatever. There's a lot of different varieties. I think there's like over a hundred varieties of olives that you might not be all familiar with, but there's, there is the Koroneki, like there's a bunch, but green, black, doesn't matter. It's just an unripened Kalamata, basically. Okay. Or an unripened Koroneki or an unripened whatever. Okay. Now let's get to the press. So the old fashioned way Forget the donkeys on the stone. That doesn't exist anymore. It's like stepping on your grapes. No one's doing that anymore. <laughs> and you do it for photographs. Um, so the press, has, there's a lot of people out there in the world who now know that olive oil is good for you or tastes good. So there's a lot more people out there eating it and consuming it than there were 50 years ago even. Okay, so how do you make those same trees produce more olives? Well, they're planting more olive trees. But what they're, they're doing is trying to extract more oil from that same fruit. So the best thing that you can look for on your olive oil, on your bottle, look on the back of your bottle. It should be cold-pressed olive oil. That means it has never seen a bit of heat. Okay, that's the that's what you want to put on your salad dressing. That's what you want to put on your cheese. That's what you want to dip your bread in. It's like that garlic. It's the cold pressed stuff that has never seen heat. Now, the first pressed is an extra virgin olive oil. I think a lot of people do know that. What happens is in a lot of these presses because they're trying to feed so many more people. Like there's just more they. And if you remember that olives are a fruit. They apply heat to the olive before pressing. So it expands the fruit. So the skin is literally pulled away from the flesh. And when the skin is pulled away from the flesh, you could extract more oil oh, out of it. Okay. And that becomes just an extra virgin olive oil for the first one, if there's heat applied to it. Okay? So cold pressed extra virgin is the stuff you want to top your salads with. The extra virgin, the regular extra virgin has already gotten heat. So you can cook with that stuff. Everybody thinks you can't cook with extra virgin olive oil or virgin olive oil. After virgin, like it's extra virgin, then it becomes virgin with the second press. After that, just don't even bother. Like don't even get just when it says olive oil and it doesn't even say virgin, like forget it. It's just not worth it. Just don't waste stick our money. With your vegetable oil and <laughs> don't waste your money. Um, but like I don't, and I only put the cold pressed extra virgin on my salads. If I'm cooking, I don't use the cold pressed on that stuff because it's already seen heat once. Your enzymes, those polyphenols that are in that fruit, has already been reduced because of the heat that's applied to pressing. So that's why I just leave my cold pressed for my cold salads, my dipping of my bread on top of my cheeses, and I cook with the extra virgin or virgin. Not even really much with the virgin. That's a good tip, though. I like that. Save the really good stuff for the not cooking, and then the other good stuff for cooking. I feel like I need to go read. I know. I'm like mentally right now. like thinking, like how many bottles? Of go look in the back of your bottle. Yeah, I'm yes. Going to. Here's another little tip. Okay, a couple more tips, and then I'll let you guys ask me the questions. <laughs> um, so th- there are three things that will that is bad for your olive oil. It's heat oxygen and light. Okay. Heat, oxygen, and light. Those three things will reduce the quality of your olive oil super fast. So I keep my olive oil in the refrigerator. You keep it, of course, in a dark pantry and all that. Don't put it next to your stove, all that good stuff. I hope most people are there, but it's okay. Some people do, but try to keep it in a dark, cool spot, but you can keep it in your refrigerator. And before you use it, 
pull it out for 10 to 15 minutes before you actually want to like cook with it or drizzle with it or whatever you need to do with it. So 10 to 15 minutes beforehand. And that will help your olive oil last longer. And then the other one is your polyphenol count. Usually once you crack that olive oil, try to use it up within within a couple of months. They say six months, but what happens is your the polyphenol count in your olive oil, those antioxidants, kind of have been reduced by about 50% by the time it's cracked and opened and sitting there for about six months. So to make it last longer, stick it in the fridge. I love those that. Those are great too. tips. Good. It's Good. funny because I feel like it's such a trend right now to have, and I have them, but I keep them in our our pantry, the like vinegar and olive oil sets that like are beautiful and mm-hmm. sit out. Yeah. But that's kind of counterproductive is what we're learning right now, right? Is like letting them sit out pretty on your counter is actually probably exposing them to at least heat and light. But now I feel better about storing them in my pantry. At least I'm halfway there. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I know it makes me happy that anytime we're in little towns and they have one of those like olive oil only stores. Yeah. It's a little bit like pricier. I'm happy that all of those are safely in my pantry and it's not the one that I've been using to fill up the one that sits on my counter. Uh, (laughs) I know that one too. Yeah, yeah. I know. So I'm like, oh, I, I spent so much more on that olive oil. It's safe in my pantry. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking yeah. of those little stories, I have just a cultural question now. So do people in the Mediterranean flavor their olive oil like those little stores do? Is that popular or is it kind of like we have a good thing, don't mess it up? Yeah, we don't as much. <laughs> we- <laughs> That's fair. I get that. I'm sorry. It's so true. So no, what we do though is if we are – so when I cook, for example, if I – so I do love to get like – I do love garlic and olive oil. So when I go to cook, for example, I will slowly cook my my garlic in the olive oil. So I am getting the full flavor – or at that point, or if I want a dip with my, so for what I'm saying is I don't get my oil super hot. I don't put it on high heat and then throw my garlic in there and scorch my garlic because it's not really infusing my olive oil. It's just scorching my garlic. Right. But if I'm cooking it slowly, then I'm getting that flavor to be infused throughout the olive oil that I'm cooking with. Likewise, if I want to have like a little dish and then some hot bread, I would grate that fresh garlic or add some basil or thyme or something like that to to my olive oil with some sea salt or something. So we probably do it just dish by dish, not so much um, container by container. That makes sense. And can I ask you a kind of related question? So I have heard that garlic... And I believe this is true, that garlic burns pretty quickly. You have to be careful with it. So I heard a recommendation from a chef that's like when you're getting your recipe online or wherever it is, you know, if it's 10 steps and it tells you, you know, in step two or three is when it tells you to add the garlic, they say, no, you wait till you're almost done to add your garlic into that dish so that you don't have just scorched burnt garlic. Exactly, exactly. Unless you plan on really adding a lot of other again, water voluminous foods to it. Like you're giving it like onions to 
on the bottom of it, onions and tomatoes, like you're really just adding so much moisture at that point. But yeah, I, I typically, I would agree. That's kind of how I cook as well. All right. Well, glad because I've been doing that. I've been waiting. I'm like, okay, I want to wait, you know, oh. a little bit and not throw it right in. <laughs> It's like the greens. It just gets wilted and it gets cooked super fast. And remember what we were saying, like you want that fresh garlic in your body, in your belly. So this is a way not to kill it with the enzymes, right? Kill all the enzymes by cooking it first. You're getting it as close to being fresh as possible in your dish, I guess. Perfect. Well, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about table olives. And then that's where my question is going to come in. Oh, so what do you want to know about table olives? So I have an aunt, and she was over for dinner tonight, and she is not an olive fan, but my oldest Mm -hmm. is a big olive fan. And so we were Mm -hmm. picking olives out of my aunt's salad, and she was giving them to my (laughs) child so that my child could eat them all up. And her, well, part of her family is originally from Malta, like right Mm -hmm. from Malta. And so they used to spend a lot of time over there. And she was telling us how, like, in Malta, it would be offensive to have already pitted olives, like, to eat. And I was just curious, is that something, like, a lot of places, like, you know, kind of feel like, oh, no, we want the pits in? Because, I mean, not having them pitted is convenient, especially when you're feeding them to children. Sure. But it was just kind of a funny thing I'd never thought of, like, Yeah, I don't know if it's like offensive, but I do say that olives are not pitted. You know, they are not pitted in anywhere that I've been in Europe, in all fairness. It's really just what we do in the States. And I'm not sure. I mean, I again, is it to preserve the longevity of the actual cured olive? Like once they've been pitted, they've got to go in a brine versus and brines are fine they're vinegar based they're fine i prefer an oil cured olive i like the meatier and i don't think you can have an oil cured i don't know i shouldn't speak out loud i just don't remember seeing that one so i don't know whether it's just a matter of preservation i don't know if they have just like lazier techniques like not as advanced techniques yeah. in pitting but yeah, the the pitting. So I, yeah. you're worried about your kid. I have to say, my all my children were raised overseas, and they can like olives are like a thing. You give them as snacks to school, and they're like, and they can just like spit it out, and like it's hitting the floor, the little pit. Like they're just super fast, so they learn. You buy an olive bread, it will have seeds in it, like pits in the olive bread. And if you break your tooth, then it's on you, not on the baker. Like, because you should have known that there's a pit in your olive. Like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I think my older one, like, she can totally handle, like, and she understands because she also likes cherries. So she understands that, you know, some of the oh, stuff's okay. going to be a pit. And she loves olives, so she doesn't care. But yeah. So, and then for little ones, you can. Yeah. And maybe it's just a total cultural thing that, you know, they don't think it's authentic it olives be. if it's not pitted. But it was just a funny comment. It, so. That is a very funny comment. I have to say, lots of our stuff have, like, when I think of fish and I think of chicken, like, filleted fish is not a thing out there. Like, that is considered a poorer fish because you don't know if that fish was old or not. You want to see the eyeballs. You want to see the bones because it tastes better. The same with chicken. You want it on the bone so you can actually, like, have more flavor. So maybe it's just having more intact food versus 
the convenience of something filleted or pitted for us. Oh, yeah. That's true. It, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. All you did was make me hungry. I Every know. Now I just sorry. want olive. I have to- <laughs> it was such a good question, but now I want olive bread and I would like some chicken and some fish with some table olives pitted or unpitted. I, I'm totally. Yeah. Totally. But it does watch make your sense. Teeth. And I will say for some of the, you know, nice Italian restaurants and things or, you know, Mediterranean restaurants I've been to, I don't think I've ever had table olives that have been pitted when I've been given those as, so. a, you know, a part of the meal. So it makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a tech thing. I don't know if it's a convenience thing here. I don't know. I don't know that one. But I just know what I have eaten, yeah. yes. just like you. So one of the things you said um, that you were going to talk about, which I'm interested to hear about, is the ancient uses of olive oil. Well, we have an entire episode on If This Food Could Talk about the ancient uses. So it is a food history show done through American public television. And we talk about one episode is about Homer's liquid gold. And so I'm it it drops actually on September 21st. Ooh, so I'm looking we'll forward be there. to it, but it's it's the Mediterranean like the ancient love affair. So yeah, the olive tree has been around for the oldest olive tree that we know exists is over 5000 years old. Wow. And there is one that's still bearing fruit. Wow. It is still in existence, yeah. And so we actually spend some time with a particular tree on this episode called the Vuvus tree in Crete. The, this Vuvus tree, we're not, and we spend time with a, a Greek archaeologist to learn about what they've seen in their civilizations. It's very interesting, and I don't want to give it all away, but a couple of the cool things about the the tree, the olive tree. Did you guys know that ancient Egyptians would purchase olive oil from Greece and Rhodes and pal- what, ancient Palestine as well? No. And it, it wasn't actually for food. It was for, could anyone guess? Can anyone guess? Like I, I was going to no say, like hair or skin care. We hair and skin is still used. I use. I'm 95 years old. No, I'm I am very well preserved. They actually would preserve their dead. Oh, love this fact. Olives. It's so random, but that's why they would be pulling it. It was actually. You, we all know that olive oil is the good stuff is a little bitter, right? Yeah. Well, back in the day, nobody really wanted bitter. No one knew, understood the science or the antioxidant or fe- polyphenols. People wanted to cook with like animal fat if you could afford it. So they weren't cooking with the olive oil. They were embalming people with olive oil. Isn't that cool? That's so, so yeah, cool. That- That's a good fact. That is a really good fact, I know. Uh, but yeah, there's other really cool stuff. Like we have, and I, I again, I like the, the uses of the tree. It grows hollow on the inside. So, and to this day, like trees grow. It's not like circular trees, like if we think of uh, oaks and whatnot or sequoias. The olive tree actually is very hollowed out on the inside. So you can hide people in there. And in times of war, 
people would hide in olive trees or hide their ammunition or hide their children. So there's a lot of it's it's been it's been it's considered the giving tree because it ha- gives so much of itself. And this is the last thing. The olive tree doesn't die. It just doesn't die. You could cut it down to its stump. We use it for wood, for furniture, for burning. We use the leaves for incense at at churches or to keep away evil eye. Um, Anointing. You know when Mm -hmm. we say about Jesus is the anointed one? He was anointed with olive oil. Literally, religious rituals are being used with olive oil. We, of course, eat the fruit as a snack or press it for oil and then cover our skin or clothes. But um, you can cut it down to an absolute stump and it just grows right back. So it is considered immortal, like a Greek goddess. That is awesome. That is so cool. I wish that podcasts weren't just audio sometimes because my entire face this whole time has just been like my jaw on the ground. I just, first of all, I didn't know any of that, but also the creativity of people, but also the flexibility of the olive tree. I'm just, I'm just so impressed by all of it. I'm so glad. I know I'm totally kicking myself because I've actually been to Crete. I got to spend a week Mm. uh, when I was in college, I spent a week on Crete and I remember I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the civilization that was there, but we got to go to- Minoans? Yes, thank you. Mycenaeans, the Minoans. That's what we talk about in our show. We're all about the Minoan civilization that you- Yep, we went and visited the site, and I remember it was on that tour, I believe. I don't know if it was you know, on the ride there or back, but they were talking about how the term, you know, extending an olive branch came to be, and and it's totally blank on me right now. I'm like, I wish I could remember, but yeah- Olive trees. Yeah, and Athena, how she was named. Athens, the city of Athens, uh, is named after the Greek goddess of Athena. And it's the same thing. Like, uh, I believe it was Zeus, if I remember correctly, who said, who could give us, like, the best gift would be named uh, the the parent comp- country or parent god- goddess. <laughs> and I think Poseidon came with the triton and... Athena came with the olive tree, and the olive tree bears so much gifts to its people, as I just kind of described. So Zeus said it was you, Athena, and they named Athens after her. That's the legend. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. But I really do hope that you go listen to uh, that episode, because if you like that little teaser, you're going to like the rest of the show. Oh. Oh, it I'm goes into so more in. definitely going to listen to yeah. it. That's so exciting. Oh, good. So... We mentioned looking and picking out olive oils. So we want to look for cold press. If we're not going to cook for it, we want to stick to extra virgin virgin. Anything else when picking out olive oil? Your best bet is going for a monocultivar, which means a singular cultivar. Remember I told you there's about over 100 cultivars, uh, different types of olives. When you have the multiple, and it won't tell you it's multiple. If it doesn't say, you know, from a singular Assume it's multiple. Singulars can be more expensive, right? Um, because it's all coming from one producer or one region, typically. When it's that, that's probably that gets a little bit more into the weeds when you look for it, and it's harder to find. But they are, and they are a little bit more expensive. But single cultivars are going to be the best quality, and the reason for that is because you're getting. In Italy, for example, there are a lot of producers all around the Mediterranean that they get their 
fresh olives from. And if one batch is not that great, but it's going mixed into the same bottle that has some pretty good stuff, then, you know, you're just going to get an okay blend of an olive oil. Right. So that's that would be another one. But it really, it just comes, look at what you like. I really recommend just looking to see what you like. Always te- check the expiration date before you purchase. Check the package date if it offers it. The more recent means the longer, you know, obviously the higher polyphenol count you'll have in it. And that's the stuff that makes you, that's good for your health. You want a higher polyphenol and you want things that are younger, fresher, you know, and hasn't been, hasn't seen heat. Right. So the cold pressed. Awesome. I'm definitely going to start checking my alloys. And I'm, when we're done with this, I'm going down to my pantry and I'm going to check everything too. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. I, I very, everybody does. That. I just bought a whole yeah. thing of it and now I feel like I should go return it and do something different. But we'll see. <laughs> no, we're going to see how well don't. we did based on instinct. You're going to cook. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Don't, see don't, don't. Did. I'm sure it's great. Just use it for your hair. But I always have like... Yeah, exactly. I always have a bunch of olive oils and I mean different ones. I've got some from Spain, from our our own olives from Cyprus, Italy, Greece, wherever. Um and I use different ones for different things. So don't feel like, you know, it's some certain ones I'll cook with and certain ones I'll top with and certain ones I'll bathe in if you want. There you <laughs> and, go. Yeah. I have a friend who's exactly. a sommelier and she was saying mm-hmm. I told her once that I bought my wine. This was a while ago. Um that I bought them by the label. And she was horrified. And she was like, that's not how we buy wine. So I will say I buy olive oil similarly, because if it's a cool label, if it's a pretty bottle, like I'm a sucker for that. But I have since Uh, learned from my friend and now from you that I shouldn't be suckered into these marketing ploys. We should be looking for other information. So that's my girl. Outgrown that in the wine world. And now is the time to outgrow it in olive oil world. I feel like my time is worthwhile just hearing that, Amy. (laughs) She'll also be proud because I still tease her that, like, if there's a dog on the label of a wine bottle, I'll buy it. And she's like, oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I know. And I'm so curious because I always feel like, like I mentioned earlier, when I go to these little olive oil stores and I do all my little samples and I have my, what I think is a fancy bottle, and I'm like, Am I We've been duped, in It's like the green olive and the black olive thing. We yeah. have been duped. Now we know. <laughs> I know. Well, I will be duped no more. I'm going to be the one there standing there in the grocery store when someone grabs a bottom. I'm like, mm, mm, I, you don't want that one. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a single cultivar? <laughs> oh, this doesn't say cold press. So, mm, I mean, if you're going to cook with it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so great so i do have a question for we have our good olive oil do you have any go-to quick easy salad dressing because i've been trying to make my own and it's not necessarily easy to make a good salad dressing well if you have a good olive oil i disagree with you well maybe that's (laughs) my problem now i'm thinking that might be the problem um no so quick and dirty one that we do all the time. It's just literally lemon juice, olive oil, and salt. That's it. Those are the three things that I need. If I want to elevate it, and if I have tomatoes, I'm adding the pomegranate syrup, okay? If I want to add elevate it further, I'm going to be crushing some garlic in there and maybe adding a little bit. So th- that's what I'm saying. I, if I, I can always elevate a little bit. I, I have to say, when I do the garlic, I don't do the pomegranate syrup. It's just a different, it's just a different flavor. 
So I guess it depends on what is my base. Is it a tomato kind of, or is it a fresh green salad with arugula? I always do like for like. So arugula is going to be bitter and bright, and I'm going to keep with that citrus, bitter, bright, kind of like lemon, olive oil, garlic, salt. If I'm going to have like, um, as I said, like tomatoes or cranberries or pomegranates or something like a that something's going to be a little bit on the sweeter side, maybe with some cheese in it, then I'm going to opt for the balsamic vinegar and olive oil, pomegranate syrup and salt. I always, that's how you elevate, I guess, a flavor is going like for like complimenting it. Not right. Am I making sense? No, yeah. That makes total like sense. Elevating. Yeah. Like, cause your yeah. natural instinct would be, Oh, we need to go opposite, but going like right. for like, okay. Yeah. It, that's how you do it. That's how I was taught. And I, think that that's the way well that, i'm that gonna try that works in our house awesome. well you're the expert you're literally yeah, well you're, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know, I do i do teach this so yes this is what you're supposed to do and then we can play with the tahini and all that kind of stuff but that comes later that comes later you ask for quick and short i also love tahini oh, oh that's yeah good. yeah that's a harder one to play with so i like to do like a buddha bowl so i'll do mm-hmm. kale sweet potato quinoa sometimes like little edamame beans and then mm-hmm. I have just been doing for that tahini, lemon juice, and a little water if I need to thin it out a bit, and then just Ooh. drizzle on top, and that's it. Very good. Yeah, I have to. I usually have to drizzle out. I, I usually have to thin out my tahini, yeah. so a bit of water. You don't do any salt. You don't do any citrus. Well, oh, you do the lemon, lemon tahini. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't say that I. I mean, I think maybe salt. It doesn't need any more. It doesn't need any more oil. Yeah. I agree with you because the tea well, is pretty sometimes fatty. Sometimes I is. am seasoning the sweet potato, so I'm not adding mm. usually any extra like seasonings that to it. That sounds delicious. It, it's very good. I would recommend. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I have that. So, do you like get the baby kale, or what are you doing? You're doing. Are you crushing kale? Did you say? Yeah, kale. Um. Brussels sprouts too, or no? I think Brussels sprouts would be good. So usually I do saute the kale a bit just to, mm-hmm. just so it's not Break quite it so tough. Yeah. And that just, right. olive oil, I mean, maybe a little garlic even, I'm trying to remember. The nutrients are a little bit better for you. Did you know that? I'm sure you probably do. When Once you saute and break down the spinach or kale or something with a real dark cruciferous green, like it's, it, it helps your body absorb it. The vitamin I didn't K know that about kale. I knew that with mushrooms though, like- if you saute mm-hmm. them, but it spinach helps. and kale yeah. too. That is good to know. That's a fun just fact. slightly. Yeah. I think we should just hang out all the time because <laughs> I have <laughs> so much to learn. First of all, didn't know any of this. I just know what I like and what tastes good, and I put lemon juice on everything. But go girl. We learned that we shouldn't put heat on some things because it breaks them down. We should put heat on other things because it oh, breaks them that's down. That's a good point. Yeah, we need like a graph. I'm sure there's one on the internet somewhere, but this is way more fun. If not, we should create one. Should make I agree. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be that would be a good graph. But yeah, I know. I think I never even thought about it. You're right. Like, when do you apply heat? When do you not? That's yeah. For really like the most nutritional point. value, what should be heated yeah. and what shouldn't be? 
Well, Claudia, I think Got you it. need to make a graph and make it like a download say, on your podcast website or something. <laughs> Claudia's okay. the expert. We will happily be okay. your first purchasers. There we go. There we go. I don't even – I'll just throw it out there. I'm just happy for people to learn and eat better. Let's be real. Like That's the whole I'm, point I'm just is to hang it share in my pantry stuff. and be like, okay, and – okay, this we're heating, this we're not tonight. Okay, got it. <laughs> my entire plan for the rest of forever is just to drizzle cold-pressed olive oil on cheese. That's what I took that's, from this that's episode. It. That's that it. And olives and grapes and pomegranate. So, like, honestly, I'm happy as clam right now. So, oh, how about come visit me in Cyprus? Yes, how about that? I, I, I think we need to go do that. Priority Absolutely. number one. There we go. So, priority number two, Claudia, tell us how yeah. you would build your ideal charcuterie board. <gasps> oh my heavens, girlfriend! You're you're gonna make me do that like on the spot. Um. I do do charcuterie boards when I have my friends. So yes, we will. I like a dry salami. Oh, this is your little crazy question. Uh, oh, this wasn't. No, I still, <laughs> we still have red wine. Oh, this, this just occurred to me. <laughs> Okay, so I love dry salami. I have to say, mm. I like a dry, hard salami. So that's the first thing I do is I'll slice that up. I like very hard, dry fruits. So I'll do my dry Asiago right next to that. I pair that always with some apricots, dried apricots or dried figs. Those are my go-to. And then I like – I don't do a lot of carbs. I have to be honest on a on a, a little – uh, so those are my two dried fruit. Those are my two dried meats. I would add a a bit of juice because I told you I like um, mm-hmm. always juiciness in my mouth. And that would be like through mandarins, uh, tangerines, excuse me, um, or fresh grapes, I would imagine. Those are the two that I would kind of like flank it with. Goat cheese is fine, but they always – can can get a little runny and then nobody ends up eating it because nobody mm. wants to like actually mm-hmm. do that <laughs> do the cutting and then if I'm gonna do any kind of um, I my favorite uh, carb that I'll throw next to it I make a really good gluten free seeded cracker that's a little spicy and that's my favorite I'm not gluten free I eat gluten um, but I do I make a really good gluten free uh, seeded five seed cracker that has a kick and most people really love it. So I kind of, I would do that with it too. Yeah. So that's a little nutty. I would come to your house for a party. I would be (laughs) there for sure. Come anytime. I also think I'm going to need the gluten-free recipe because one of my good friends is gluten-free. She's also the one who's taught me more about nice wine. I have two friends who taught me more about nice wine. So she would be very proud that I've outgrown the label phase also, but she would (laughs) love that cracker. And I think if, for all she's taught me about wine, if I could bring her a great cracker, sure, be friends. Absolutely, <laughs> it's super easy. I'll I can share it with you, but it's just awesome. Basically, flaxseed is what pulls it all together. But yeah, I'll I'll share it with you. Ah, uh, you know what, Amy? I immediately pictured when Claudia said about the cracker is when you go to Brio, the yes. seeded crackers in their bread basket. I don't know if yes. you guys have burrito in Virginia. I know it. It's a chain yeah, Italian restaurant, which we're not normally yeah, I, big I know chain it. restaurant eaters. We like to find like the little mom and pop shops. No, no shame to chain. I'm not trying to chain no, shame. Exactly. But those <laughs> no. seeded crackers, I'm like, you don't they need know what to bring doing. the regular bread, just bring seeded crackers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple love luxury. It. it is. It is. Awesome. Well, should we do? Okay, I'm ready. Rapid fire. 
I am ready. I knew it was coming that. Oh, God. And that wasn't even part of it. So (laughs) No, that was just, it just just occurred to me and you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, drizzle olive oil and cheeses. I'm like, oh, well, if anyone's going to build us a charcuterie board. (laughs) So I like to, uh, we got to stop talking about food or I am going to go and eat some food. I'm telling you. I know. I know. Ricotta cheese. I love like (gasps) a good olive oil with ricotta and then some coarse salt. And that does that does probably require a little bit of a a better bread, not the red, that not the seeded cracker. Seeded crackers for my dry stuff, but when I when I'm doing all that, I, w- I need a baguette or something. Oh, there. Okay, yes. but yeah, we'll add that on the other side with, of the board. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm Sorry. a sucker for bread. I order bread as dessert. I know bread, so. cheese. Ooh. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> a good red, a good red wine with it too. Ooh. I like yeah. your friend in Oregon. I'd imagine it's a Pinot Noir. She's got. I have. He, they've got many beautiful Pinot Noirs at my house. Yes, that's that's what that's. What <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. We could eat together, girls. I, I we can eat together. I'll bring some wine. Oh yay! Well, we are big Mediterranean eaters. I mean, I'm sure it's very Americanized, but it is some of our no. favorite food. <laughs> Yeah, no, I it's not. If you're put if you're drizzling tahini, water and salt on a salad, like you've got it. <laughs> let's be real. Uh all right. Well, let's do our rapid fire and these are just totally fun silly. So no overthinking okay. required. No right or wrong. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. And some of these good. are you're going to be like, "Why are you asking me this?" And it's just because it's an ongoing joke from past episodes. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. I love it. Do you like LaCroix? Yes. Awesome. All right. Then we can be friends. (laughs) Okay. All right. What is your favorite color? Orange. If you had to give up one food forever, what would it be? One food forever? Give up a food? Yeah, so you can't have it ever again. Ham. Yeah. I don't care about that either. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I like pepperoni. I like like bacon, but ham. Yeah. uh. Anyway, go ahead. Would you rather skydive or bungee jump? Bungee jump. You can't get me jumping out of a plane. That's that's insane. I have children. I need to stay alive for <laughs> exactly. them. Uh-uh. Exactly. No. Do you like Jello? Yes. Oh, sorry, Amy. You're not going to like me anymore. I know. I know. So I don't mind Jello. Cherry. Amy's Jell-O. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mind it at all. I think I eat almost everything. That's kind of the the truth, though. All right. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Yeah. Chocolate or vanilla? Okay. Chocolate. Oh, ice cream. In anything. Chocolate. Little sidebar, would the pomegranate syrup be good on vanilla ice cream? No, too sour. Okay. Too sour. Because I know balsamic glaze, some people like that on ice cream. Have you ever drizzled olive oil on ice cream? No, but I bet it would be good. On a vanilla ice cream. Do it. All right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go buy vanilla bean ice cream. Very, very good quality vanilla bean ice cream. And a very good olive oil. (laughs) That's right. And add a little bit of salt. Okay, (sighs) I'm going to do that. Try it. Okay. And my last one. If there was a food or drink, you had to have it every meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? A food or drink. Yeah. So pick one or the other. I can't say LaCroix. And yeah. you have to eat it with every meal. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, you have to have a little bit of this food and or drink with all of them. You guys are insane <laughs> with these questions. Um, now my head's in Pellegrino mode because that's just like an easy one to have every day. Oh, no. Olive oil. Olive you oil. <laughs> you can use it for everything. I would also say that. pick Pellegrino, though, too, I think. That would be I know. I was like, ever, that, that might have been it. I was like, Pellegrino, because that's like an easy, like, I love sparkling water. It's like a 
party in your mouth, right? It's just like bubbles and happy. Yeah, Yeah. I love the bubbles. Yeah, exactly. Give me sparkling water anytime. I kind of feel like I have to right now say olive oil. (laughs) Or I always think like bread is a good one because you could find some way to incorporate bread into everything. Oh, my stomach would hurt if it's like morning, noon, and night of bread. I would never poop. Like (laughs) I would be in complete heaven. I have been known to order bread at morning, noon, and night. (laughs) It would be so good. Awesome. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, Claudia, why don't you share about your podcast one more time and how people can find you? Uh, Thank you. Yes. If This Food Could Talk, it's a history show for everyone who eats. And that is exactly what we do. We talk, we go deep dive into the most random foods from everything from like the the America's love of ice cream to the history of pizza, olive oil, I get to sit down with celebrity chefs. I, I super got lucked out with that. Jacques Pepin, he is a master chef. Samantha Brown, she travels. Diane Kochilis, it's all, these are all James Beard award-winning chef um, Anne Kim from Lady Zaza in Minneapolis. She's, we've just been very fortunate. We've got people who are willing to spend their time and energy with us to tell us about their personal connection with food. Then we sit down with archaeologists or food historians to learn where did that food come from and how did it end up on our plate right here in America or wherever you're at. So it's called If This Food Could Talk and you can listen for it. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. And we always – and then I actually end up teaching you guys how to cook. I Every show is a food history class, but then I end up sharing a recipe or so you get to learn to cook with me as well. And then we post everything up on our website as well, all of our recipes. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go subscribe to that right now so I don't miss any thank of your you. recipes. And Claudia, thank, thank you. you so much. This was so much fun. I'm so glad we could have you on. Same. Thank you guys for making this so much fun. I really genuinely appreciate the time you spent with me. And I, I hope that you had fun and you learned something too. So we much. We 100% so much. did. I'm going to go Good. look at everything in my pantry now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't overanalyze it. Don't overanalyze it. It's baby steps. Baby steps. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks for letting us talk at you. Do with that what you will. If you have any comments, corrections, suggestions, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Facebook, Instagram, and website, and you can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 